I'm not sure who this book is written for. Well, it almost feels like a guide for parents. Like if you understand what somebody is going through, doesn't that help you respond to them a little bit better? I think most parents who are halfway decent at their job have wondered, like, what is going through their heads? What is happening at school every day? Because we don't know. They don't tell us, you know? I mean, at least for me, it's hard to empathize with children because they're so freaking weird. I don't, you know, I, you know, I, they, they seem like just psychopaths to me. And it's nice kind of seeing that they're not, that despite their kind of inherent selfishness and vanity, there's sort of a reason behind that. And you can kind of see it as sort of like this primordial developing brain. I'm not sure if you've made up your mind on if you want to have kids, but does this move you more in the <laughs> no, for or against I, having I would, kids? <laughs> I would definitely be more in the, in the against it if after reading this. I mean, which is... <laughs> Since we're working our way through the alphabet this year, how about something that's rated E for everyone? That seems very uncharacteristic of you, old chum. Well, Raman, I kind of have to apologize for all of the body horror from Junji Ito I've made you read. I've made you read about Jeffrey Dahmer. We've taken you through the real-life trauma of the Khmer Rouge and the Vietnam War. And then, you know, even when we were reading books like Genderqueer, it felt like we were kind of constantly at battle, trying to push back on the fact that that book has been banned. And then, of course, we've had some hard looks from both perspectives on Israel and Palestine. So, yeah, you know, maybe something a little bit more chill. Yeah, that's a really good point. We definitely should go back to playing it safe and not getting canceled. And have I got just the thing? Oh, let me guess. Is this some good old-fashioned teenage superhero melodrama? Nah, man, you know us. We gotta forget the superheroes. How about a comic about the confessions of a 10-year-old Parisian schoolgirl? That sounds like a new type of mutant. (laughs) I'm Roman Segal. And I'm Ryan Joe. And we are two dudes reading cartoons about an adorable, all-too-honest little girl. Which is totally, totally normal, but also Roman's idea. (laughs) This week, we continue reading our way through the alphabet, and E is for Esther's Notebooks the critically acclaimed cartoon series that chronicles the hilarious and heartbreaking true life of a young girl growing up in Paris by Riyad Satouf. Uh, Wasn't he the author of one of the first books we read on this podcast, Arab of the Future? It's actually the Arab of the Future. The Arab of the Future, just like it's the Trade Desk and the New York Times. And the Facebook. And the Ohio State University. That's right. The Riyad Satouf is a best-selling cartoonist, comic artist, and filmmaker who was born in France, grew up in Syria and Libya, and now lives in Paris. He is best known for his multi-volume autobiographical account of his childhood, The Arab of the Future, which has sold more than 3 million copies in France and has been translated into 23 languages. Though his English publishers refused to publish the last two volumes. Merde! Come on, guys, don't make us learn French. Uh, did you also know that in 2016, Satouf was actually named a Knight of France's Order of Art and Letters? Do you think we could get knighted for this podcast? No, the opposite. They're going to flush us down the toilet. They're going to execute. You know, what is the opposite of, of being knighted in France? It's probably being guillotined, right? That's what they're going to do. <laughs> well, 
Or canceled. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, several years ago, Satouf was out to dinner with some of his friends who brought along their outgoing young daughter. And as those of us with young children might already know, she would not stop talking. Satouf was fascinated by the young girl's honest, garrulous, and articulate nature in seeking to contrast his childhood autobiography of growing up in the Middle East in the 1980s, Satouf decided to chronicle a modern child's take on life. So over the past three years, Riyad Satouf has been chatting with his friend's outgoing young daughter, anonymized as Esther, where once a week she would tell him about her family, her school, her dreams, her fears, and after each conversation, he published a one-page comic strip based on what she had just said. So first published in 2016, Esther's Notebooks is an ongoing series that spans three years, ages 9 through 12. And he does that over 156 comic strips, giving us a delightful look into the daily drama of this thoughtful, intelligent, and high-spirited girl who lives with her father, thinks her big brother is an idiot, loves French hip-hop, and just wants an iPhone, among many, many other things. Satouf has said, the real Esther interested me because she is a girl without a particular background. She has no family problems. Her parents are together. She is not rich or poor, nor she is not stunningly beautiful nor plain, not super intelligent, but good at school. She is your average young girl without any particular backstory. Listening to her stories, I realized that they were hard, amusing, and sometimes cruel, but they transmitted the reality of childhood. End quote. Satouf has said that he plans to chronicle Esther's life in cartoons until she turns 18. So this comic is a fascinating unfiltered look into modern childhood and not exclusively French, despite providing a crash course into popular French hip-hop artists. So the way Esther grows up, the way she interacts with social media, worries about terrorism, sexism, racism, and questions of having or not having enough money speaks to a universal audience. Occasionally, we are actually brought into the trauma of current events from a young child's perspective, whether it's the Paris terror attacks multiple times or the political moment of Trump, Le Pen, Macron, and even Putin. So basically, this book is awesome and everyone should read it. But Ryan, tell me why I'm wrong so we can have a fun-filled podcast. No, we're going to be in agreement, unfortunately, for any entertainment value derived from this podcast. Um, I'm a big fan <laughs> of Riyadh Satouf. Yeah. And I was a big fan of Arab of the Future, and I am a big fan of Esther's Notebooks. And I always felt like with Arab of the Future, you know, the childhood he depicted was always very strange and surreal. And I kind of attributed that to the culture clash, the fact that Satouf, Arab of the Future is autobiographical, so the fact that Satouf was sort of between cultures. He was both French and Syrian, and it was always kind of hard for him to fit in. And that's why everything seems so weird in Arab of the Future. But things are very weird for Esther. And and I, I kind of realized that maybe childhood is just one constant culture clash because everything is always changing as you're as you're growing up. Once you think you acclimate to something, it changes out from underneath you or you change out from underneath it. Because we definitely see Esther evolve as a person throughout this throughout this comic. So I guess the big takeaway is that kids are fucking weird and the tooth is great at capturing all of that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I this doesn't represent all children, but it not all does. not all children. I, I mean, I, I couldn't help but see. I sometimes wonder what my daughter's day to day life is like. You know, from the moment we drop her off to the bus stop till when she comes home in the evening and has dinner with us, and you try to talk to them about what's going on in their day, and you kind of hear bits and pieces. And sometimes I'll meet other parents at the park or a birthday party, and we're like, "Did you hear this? Did you hear that?" But you don't know what they're going through. 
you know, during the day, in their head, at night, the hopes, the fears, how are they reacting to things? And this is the closest look at it. I mean, probably the only other thing that's done this good of a job is kind of what Richard Linklater did with Boyhood. But even that was a very external view of this child. Whereas this was, I mean, you're literally getting inside her head and hearing her recollection of everything and her take on everything. Yeah, actually, Boyhood is a very interesting contrast. But, you know, that one is sort of a fictionalized account. And I think he's using maybe real events. And this is essentially Satouf trying to get inside her head as much as possible. What is she going through? How is she interacting with her family and with the world around her? And I I actually think that's what makes this book so special because you do see the way she interacts with the world change so much between the ages of nine through 12. I I thought it was really interesting. Like the earlier strips from Esther's notebooks are all kind of about her school, her peers, her family. And, you know, they still appear later on, but she becomes much more aware of the world around her, of like the way money affects things in the world. The way mm-hmm, politics mm-hmm. affects things in the world. And even though there's like, and even even the terrorist attacks, right? Like when she's around nine or 10, she learns about the assault on Charlie Hebdo and that she doesn't really understand it. She, I don't think she even understands it enough to be scared. And then mm-hmm. later on, you see her processing as there are other terrorist attacks. She, you see her processing it very differently and she's much more aware of the threat. And... It's a little bit sad because, you know, you, you sort of see her growing up and having to deal with these things and and still being kind of unable to to process it. And sometimes these things just kind of hit her. Like, there's a terrorist attack, and then right afterwards, as they're walking home from school, there's a guy on a dark motorcycle and a dark helmet, and he kind of mocks her and scares her, you know, this this person who probably mm-hmm. sympathizes with the terrorists and he's getting off kind of terrorizing these two 10 year old girls who are just trying to go home from school. And that's something that she has to confront. Yeah. And I mean, even further in, like after another terrorist attack and, and the book, it, it all, they kind of just pop in and out. It's not, the, the book isn't laden with those, but you can't help but kind of spend time with those moments is what happens at school the next day and how they have a drill and it's the effect of, and I've been thinking a lot about this lately because my daughter has active shooter drills at school and that's really messed up. But, you know, we had duck and cover drills, like, you know, a desk isn't going to save you from a tornado or a nuclear bomb. But, uh, you know, and even the teacher says that as much, be like, you'd be dead anyway. And it's just kind of this traumatizing <laughs> thing that the teacher says to the kid and it has an effect on them. But and, I, and I, the, I, I just, that moment, ahead. I also kind of like, like Esther's self-awareness because you know she's kind of losing that childhood credulity she's like she's literally like when the teacher says that esther's sort of shocked she's like why the fuck would she say that to children like she's actually not just believing what the adults say she's actually processing it and trying to figure out whether she believes it or not and that's also something that you see more of as the book progresses as she ages Mm -hmm. she becomes a lot more skeptical about certain things in the world well, and she starts to imagine the future, right? There's mm. a couple of, I think, in the latter book where she imagines herself as president. But, you know, a longstanding trope of hers in this book is boys suck. <laughs> and you see why, because boys are portrayed in her world, and it could just be the boys at her school. They're really not nice, or they're kind of self-involved, or the way they treat her. And as she starts to imagine the future, I mean, she effectively says things like, you know, 
boys shouldn't be allowed <laughs> in. And I, I found that I found that really interesting. Like it's just her her perception of what the world is, how people act in the world, you know. And she, she holds some people up on a pedestal. Her dad, her dad, and her mom, her dad, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's very aware of like the power dynamics in the world. Like, like she doesn't have like the, you know, she's not old enough yet to articulate them. But she mm-hmm. definitely, actually, no, she is. She, I mean, she kind of the way she articulates it is, boys suck. But she's definitely aware <laughs> of the way that men tend to hold all of the power. And right. you know, you also see her kind of pushing back on that. Also, trying to register, like trying to figure out where in this world she might have some sort of power and how to maneuver through it because she's also aware she can't just you know there's an extent to which she has to finesse her way through the world mm. in order to get what she wants this is kind of a subtle thing but while most of the book is kind of the classic grid comic strips you know just and, and i think so too to give him a, a lot of credit i don't know what these phone conversations look like but he's clearly it, it's not simply transcribing the phone conversation he's kind mm. of picking up the bits and putting a narrative to it but while most of the book is told in these grids, there's these kind of really beautiful moments where he does kind of like the full page spread, where the whole thing is just kind of thinking and, and focusing on one topic. And I, I'm drawing a blank on a couple of them, but they're just really, it's just so well done. Yeah. Like there's Bastille Day, for instance. I think there's, this is on page 105. You know, I'm kind of bringing it back to, I think, a terrorist attack and how they yeah. process it. And... I think it's it's just really sad. So so just kind of hanging out with her friend Cassandra, and when her I black think, friend, yeah, and when they hear of this terrorist attack, they know it's really bad, and they don't have any information because their moms have confiscated her the phone, so they can't get any information. They're trying to shield them. Like Esther and Cassandra go back to her house, and they build this wooden house that Cassandra's late father had once built, and it had gotten dismantled. It's like a little small kind of dollhouse size thing. And that's sort of the way they try to kind of seek comfort in this world. Cassandra kind of goes back to something that her father did and tries to kind of reconstruct it. And it's a full page spread. It's pretty much just like one panel where all of this, actually that's kind of like what I just described is like a lot of action, but it's just one panel, one illustration where they kind of convey all of this. And a picture of these two sad girls staring at a little house. Yeah, the one that her that her father built. And it's so it's such a kind of sad and sort of mysterious reaction to the fact that there's all of this external trouble that they can't understand and fully process. Yeah, and, and for every sad moment like that, then you see things like I go forward a bit like page 97, where she's walking on the beach with her family and she sees a woman that she envisions to mm. be her in the future. Right. And you can like just see her jaw dropping. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. It's just there were so many. The book is full of moments, right? And when I first started reading it, I'll tell you this funny story. So when I first sat down to read it, I brought it downstairs and my daughter sees this cartoony thing and I'm like, yeah, why not? I can I can sit down and read this to my daughter. So I actually read <laughs> the first call it 10 pages or so to her and, you know, quickly noticing there are some things that are inappropriate. So trying to talk around them. And I, I did tell her, I was like, hey, this is probably not appropriate for you to read. Um, but she kept picking it up and my daughter's starting to read now. She's six going on seven. And so she's piecing it together and she can't put it down. And it's interesting. It's not just interesting because it's a pretty comic and there's a little girl that probably she identifies with, but there's probably things being said that, that she must identify with too. Fortunately, you know, I took it away. I'm not going to let her read it at least for another couple of years, but I don't know. It's just like, um, I'm not sure who this book is written for. Well, I was thinking about that. I kind of feel like it's almost feels like a, 
a guide for parents. Well, you know, I mean, I was going to say that it's a guide for parents, but that feels a little bit reductive. I would... It's not a guide. It's uh, It creates a lot of empathy. Like, we constantly wonder what our kids are going through. But isn't that isn't that Just... inherently, like, a guide? Like, if you understand what somebody is going through, doesn't that help you respond to them a little bit better? It's not like a guide in the sense of, like, do this, yeah, to yeah, not yeah, do yeah. that. It's a guide yeah, in, yeah, yeah, in the yeah, sense exactly. of, like, here's what is going through their heads or at least this girl's head, and maybe you can relate to that, and maybe in understanding it, it can help you relate to it. It's a peek inside their heads. And to give another kind of pop culture reference, when you watch the cartoon Bluey, and you watch how these parents behave with their children, that's also a guide, like how to be more present and how to play with your kids. But this is really, it's just kind of, a, this is an empathy builder. But I think most parents who are halfway decent at their job have wondered, like, what is going through their heads? What is happening? at school every day because we don't know they don't tell us you know and it becomes even though we're still these kind of iconic figures in their life as parents as esther sees her dad and even her mom you know she probably keeps a lot to herself i i'm genuinely there's even moments now there's probably two cartoons in here where Riyadh gives her the latest volume you know and she reads it and she has a reaction to it and i, I read in another article you know, so Riyadh has anonymized her. So there's a lot of what's written about this girl is her name isn't Esther, blah, 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 right? She probably doesn't look anything like this. But Esther has received this book, has gifts from other friends who don't know what's about her. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I did not I did not realize that. Yeah. But I wonder what her parents think about this when they go back and read. Right. Well, yeah, because is it eye-opening to them also? Like, it would not surprise me if the real Esther is telling Riyadh Satouf things that she did not tell her parents about, you know, and, you know. There, there's a really funny bit where she's reacting to, here's what really happened, and everything's the same. It's just she's cursing a lot more. Yeah. The... <laughs> I like how when Riyadh asks her to fact check strips, it's basically, yeah, it's just basically using more curse words. Yeah, instead of saying, it's a baby toy, she's like, nah, I don't give a shit about that. <laughs> So, yeah. Um, but I, I think, you know, I mean, in terms of who this book is for, it's anyone who just wants to kind of get into the psychology of somebody else. And that's, I think, what the best fiction does. It kind of gets you into somebody else's world and it helps you kind of empathize with what somebody else might be going through. And in this case, it's a girl who's nine to 12 and, you know, generally, you know, children, I mean, at least for me, it's hard to empathize with children because they're so freaking weird. I don't, you know... <laughs> I, you know, I, they, they seem like just psychopaths to me. And it's nice kind of seeing that they're not, that despite their kind of inherent selfishness and vanity, there's sort of a reason behind that. And you can kind of see it as sort of like this primordial developing brain. There's a personality that's forming. There's an outlook that's forming. Right. It's like this, you know, because she is, uh, Esther is sort of obsessed with beauty, right? She says the, the most mm -hmm. important thing in the world is to be beautiful and bendy. And you see that starting to evolve also. Like even at the end of this collection, which goes up to when Esther is 12, she still has that obsession with looking good and being beautiful, but it becomes a little bit more sophisticated. She's also sort of challenging it a little bit more. To well, herself. there's a moment in, in one of the, when I'm president and I rule everything, you know, she effectively says, I'm only going to have women in my cabinet. And, and it's not going to matter how they look. And then she says something like, because how we look and what is beautiful is defined by men. And I thought that was like, just really poignant to be like, wow, this is coming out of a 12 year old to like to perceive the world that way. Yeah. But it's also a big shift in how she was thinking. I mean, 
you would hope it'd be a big shift in how she was thinking when she was nine, but it is right. And when she's nine, mm-hmm. it's just very much like it's it's important to be beautiful. That's it. End the story. And now, yeah, she's starting to really, really challenge that. And you know, I, I just kind of love that, right? You kind of have those basic impulses, you know, as a kid. And now she's starting to really kind of bring her intellect to it and try to understand where they come from and try to understand whether they actually fit, whether those sort of basic impulses will really fit in this world. And yeah, seeing her just become a young adult and slowly become more sophisticated and 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 more mature. Well, this is where I think the book is going to get really, really interesting because this we end on your, her being 12 years old and Satouf has said he's going to do this until she's 18. So, I mean, the really interesting teen years are coming. And, you know, to be determined if she'll continue on with the project or Satouf will, but I'm, I'm curious where this goes. One of the things that comes up probably midway through the book is her career aspirations. Oh, Ryan. yeah. I got to ask, like, she, you know, at first she thinks she wants to be a writer and she gives it a go. And then she's like, nah, I want to be an editor. <laughs> so someone who's an editor and a writer, how much of this checks out for Esther's point of view? Actually, I, 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 the difficulty of writing, the chapter called The Difficulty of Writing, which is on page 156, I sent that to my friend Chandler, our friend Chandler, actually, who has yeah, been a guest yeah. on this podcast and who is a novelist. And that just really resonated with some of the conversations I've had with her, you know, just in terms of how intimidating a blank page can be. But also like at the end, she says, Esther says, there are so many possibilities when you're writing and you have to make all these choices. And that's something like Chandler and I have often talked about, like the frustrating thing about fiction when you're writing is you have to make choices and you get kind of locked into these choices. I think the way she always described it is that, you know, as a writer, you're always painting yourself into corners, but you have to just make sure you're painting yourself into the right corner. And that that's something that we've talked about because it's just, it's the truth if you're, if you're writing, (laughs) but it's also astonishing to me that a 12 year old girl figured this out. And it, it felt like it took me about like 35 years at least to figure that out. So I'm a little bit pissed, but yeah, I actually do think like editors to an extent have it easier than writers because with editors, the choices have already been made. And then you just look at what the writers has done and you try to help determine, did you make the right choices? And then also given what you are trying to do, you know, do the choices you made in the writing, bring us there Mm -hmm. versus like with writers is sort of like infinitesimal decisions that you have to make. And each decision that you make, creates more decisions that you have to make and which creates more decisions that you have to make. And then if you have to unwind those decisions, it's just like a a tremendous frustrating mess because it's like backtracking through a maze. And then you have to find the exact spot where you want to stop and then start over again. So yeah, it it definitely checked out. (laughs) It haunts. It haunts. Yeah. But again, what's amazing to me is that it's this, it's this 12 year old girl who's kind of, He's kind of figured this out. And I actually really yeah. I actually really appreciate Esther's imagination because throughout this, she's always coming up, she's very observant. And she's also coming up with all of these different story ideas, right? You get her novel ideas, you get her ideas of like different gods, goddesses that she or would how, create. Or how the world should be. Yeah. 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 So she just kind of has like a lot of imagination that really starts to bloom when she's around like 10 or 11. Even her vampire novel, 
Actually, that's one thing that actually kind of really impressed me also about our vampire novel. Basically, it's the way that it makes her think about her relationship with her family as well, right? Mm -hmm. Like when she's thinking about eternal life and how that would be really, really sad for her. But then she thinks about solutions on how, oh, you know, I can turn my whole family into vampires so I don't lose them. But then she starts thinking about the difficulties of having, of giving her like brother immortality and having him just annoy her for the rest of her life. I thought, I mean, like she's a very perceptive person and it's really kind of interesting seeing where her mind goes and how she kind of like tries to unwind these different problems. Yeah. And you know, it's to kind of the origin story. I think Satouf was really kind of taken with Esther's personality and say, thinking this is someone interesting who to kind of document, whether it was a kindred spirit or someone who doesn't. I think all children are really interesting. I don't think all children are as expressive and articulate as Esther is. Sometimes as a parent, if you can get your child talking, don't let them stop. Like it can become really annoying sometimes that they don't ever stop talking. But at the same time, you know, as they get older, they start to close up a little bit more or you ask how school was and they don't want to tell you much. Something Scott Galloway says is he always volunteers to drive his boys places because that's like captive time in the car, right? Where you have to talk about something. And it's just, I don't know, this, this book is touching on many levels. And, and one of them is like, as a parent, kind of really to, to your point about kind of a guidepost, like really wanting to empathize with what they're going through, the depth of their feelings and their thoughts. They're not trivial things. Because this is the first time they're really realizing and processing a lot of these things. Yeah, we, I, we as parents, the adults in their life, we we take that for granted because we've already been there and done that multiple so, times. So that actually, you know, does did this change the way you relate to your own children at all, or do you? Well, do you think it's going to change the way you, you relate to your own children and the way you communicate with them? I think so. I mean, you know, you it's hard. You know, we were talking right before we started recording. Parenting is really, really hard. It is exhausting. It is the, it's the one job you can never quit and you can never, you better not get fired from. And this book is kind of a reminder to kind of pause and appreciate it for what it is, who these little people are. Not, not to get sappy, but it's a really, really beautiful thing. Like you have a little person developing in front of you and whether you like it or not, and I've believed this for a while, they're watching and listening to everything. And it's not what you say, it's what you do. You have to imagine that Esther behaves the way she does and her brother brothers behave the way they do because of what they're observing and seeing the schools they go to which is a choice like the dad you know kind of bends over backwards to get her in keep her in private school at a young age try to get her into a better school across town all these decisions all these choices the kindness that the parents and the grandparents show it's not that she's just so magically awesome it's 50 50 it's who she is, but it's everything that she's surrounded by and impacted by. And um, I don't know. So it kind of makes you pause and you don't want to take things for granted. Take it for granted who they are, that they're not just a little sidekick operating in your life, but also everything you do has an impact. So you really need to think about that. Um, and, I, and, and I do think about that. It's actually interesting. You don't really recall many conversations she has with her dad and her mom, but there are like a lot of different events and incidents kind of to your point of Esther really kind of processing a lot of what they do, less what they say, but how they kind of interact with her, but also the world around her. Well, the thing you have to know, right? Even though this is a pretty in-depth view of her life, this is one story a week. 
told to a journalist. Yeah. So what's happening in all of those stories in between the weeks? So you know, I often say, you know, when someone sees my kids, they're like, oh, they're so cute. I'm like, yeah, until they're not. You know, my, my best friend's about to come visit this weekend and he's going to spend the weekend with my kids and he's going to have a great time. And then he's going to go back. You don't see all the other in-between moments, the shouting, the yelling, both from the kid and the parents, the disobedience, you know, the disciplining. Well, maybe, maybe he'll get lucky. Yeah. Maybe he'll get all of that. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is like, this is a real good look inside of it, but there's a lot of stuff happening between these pages. And I'm not saying, oh, I can see it. What it makes me appreciate is kind of how she's seeing everything. Because very often with children, and this is kind of an obvious statement, I'm not seeing things how my daughter or son are seeing them. You don't have time to imagine it. Mm. You're just trying to get through the day. You're just trying to get them to eat their food, you know, brush their teeth, go to bed, be a good person. You're just pushing through. Yeah, that's actually interesting, right? It's kind of hard to have empathy when you've got so much shit on your plate. Literally sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Lucky parents. (laughs) So yeah, to, to answer your question, will this make... I like to think I'm a pretty good parent, but I like to think this is just another tool in my belt to be a better one. You know, it's not a guide so much as a how-to guide. It's just, hey, pause and think of what she must be going through. And I have been, believe it or not, right before I started reading this, because um, it's been really hard with the kids lately, and I've been trying to think through that. What must they be going through? And and trying to reflect a little bit on my childhood, on how big the world looked. I, I just went back to my parents' house, and it's always a surreal experience to go back home. But you know... What was I thinking when I was six? And what did the world, how big did the house seem? You know, my dad's a really nice guy, but he seemed really angry all the time because he worked all the time. And, you know, is that how she views me sometimes, even though I like to think I'm a nice, funny guy? So, yeah. Mm, that's interesting. I didn't Like, it's changed also the way you think about how you related to your dad, to your parents when you were, when you were a kid. Because you do have like this whole, you know, even as a kid, this whole interiority and this whole perception of your parents. And in a way, it also kind of defines how you relate to them as an adult as well. Yeah. But so uh, that's that's going to be for the sequel, probably, or once Esther becomes an adult. Well, I'm, I'm curious. I really do wonder if the teen years, I'm, I am enamored by... Having a young little person, my daughter, who's, you know, I've seen her up till almost the age of seven now. I am genuinely scared and terrified of what she's going to be like as a teenager. And uh, the beauty of this book is, (laughs) like, this book is a few years ahead of my daughter. So getting any interior look into the mind of a teenage girl is going to be, it is going to be helpful for me because I am scared. What scares you the most about your daughter turning into a teenager? Which, by the way, you still have quite a few more years. Yeah, I mean, teenage girls, to me, when I was a teenager, that kind of sucked. But then also, you know, you see the best of you and you see the worst of you in your children. And there's only so much of it you can control. So I'm just like, great. I'm sure I was I was a joyful bag of donuts as a teenager. So, <laughs> you know, what comes around goes around. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be fun and conflictless. Yes, exactly. But I I am curious, you know, she's now, she, I was talking to another parent friend, childhood friend, and she's got older boys, but my daughter is now at the age or approaching the age where I'm going to let her read and consume everything. Like she's kind of about a year away from being able to read Esther's notebooks. And she's read a lot of Raina Telegemeyer, although she probably shouldn't be reading it. So, you know, getting her reaction to these things too, you know, and being able to have a conversation, kind of like this, I, I hate to say it, right? And like, you know, 
you and I are friends, and the reason we do this show is we like to read things and talk about them. And you're all fine and good, but, you know, I would love to see, watch something new or something old or read something old or read something new with my daughter and get her take on it. Because it, it is a real, just as much as this is an interior look into how you process things, I'm kind of more curious what she thinks than you think. <laughs> oh, that's totally fair. You should show her the original It because that freaked me the <laughs> fuck out when I was growing up. And I th- I'm kind of curious how your daughter responds to it. I hope your parents didn't sit down and watch that with you. No, it was it was me, my brother, and my cousin. We used to have like horror movie nights. She she would come over when we were about like, yeah. Well, we were probably a little bit older, maybe eleven or twelve, and then we would watch movies <laughs> like it. We watched demonic toys, Puppet Master, all of this trash, but it was so great. I'm like Esther. I like being scared. <laughs> So I think I already know the answer to this question, but so instead of saying, would you recommend this to someone or even who would you recommend this to? Like, is there someone you would kind of want to get their take on it other than me? Not really. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not like, I'm not like really particularly interested in getting anyone else's take on this. I mean, I know how I processed it. I found it really interesting. I'm not sure if you've made up your mind on if you want to have kids, but does this move you more in the no. for or against I, I having would, kids? I would definitely be more in the in the against it if after reading this. I mean, which is... <laughs> so now I know who you want to give it to. Any of your friends who you don't want to lose to children, you'll give them this book. Well, I, I feel like most of my friends, honestly, like they're most of my age. So I think it's kind of unlikely that I'm going to lose any of them to children. And I can, I know that most of the people that I hang out with socially tend to be definitely in the no children camp. So, yeah, yeah. but I mean, I think they would enjoy it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, and I, I think both parents and people who aren't parents, people who love kids, people who hate kids would enjoy reading Riyadh Satouf's take on, on childhood and what it is like to be a child, because it's a very strange, weird, confusing time. And I think he captures that that sense of that surreal sense really, really well. And he's also is really good at capturing the way people evolve. And he does this also in Arab of the Future. He's just very good at kind of showing the world through the eyes of a child. And it's not always innocent. It's often very dark. It's often very scary. But I, you know, Satouf, I think, is very unique in his ability to capture all of that. Well, to answer my own brilliant question, I would totally give this book to any of my friends. I didn't ask you because I already knew the, the answer to that question. <laughs> well, you know, I actually don't know if I would let, not let, I don't know if Friends Without Kids would find as much value in this. I found a lot of value in it. I don't necessarily think any of my, you know, people I know who, who don't have kids couldn't also enjoy it. Um, I, I don't think you necessarily need to have kids in order to enjoy what Riyadh Satouf does. Well, it's to to your earlier point, you know, for people who don't fully understand kids or kind of the, the you know, the unfully formed id, right, that we view children to be, it, it creates a lot of empathy for them and what they're going through. And, it, and honestly, let me ask one other question related to that. Did you see any of your own childhood in her perceptions? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but yeah. that's I, I, that's the thing. Like, we were all kids at one point. Yeah. We were all confused with things that we didn't understand at one point. And, you know, I, I would say that, that there's a lot happening in the world today where we are confused with what the fuck's going on. Why do you think Trump was elected? It's because everyone wanted a daddy. And, I, you know, so I don't think that you know, what Esther is 
going through is too foreign for anybody because we've all been kids and even now we're still working our way through a lot of weird shit that we don't fully understand yeah so i, I definitely recommend it to to anyone who just wants a, a good read well i mean this i think we should add this to the list of the many incomplete works of quarantine comics that we'll probably have to pick up a i mean i think when you when you consider the fact that we read like half of doom patrol and like a third of fables and all that stuff it's just like this is this is like the incomplete comics club well no it's I, where, where i'll disagree with you there is the, that's reading excerpts but things like rusty brown or monster yeah, that's where true. it's incomplete it, we're reading incomplete works that are still in process and that's saga is another example right these are things that more is coming hopefully yeah uh, and interestingly enough those are all comics we read very early on and we're still waiting for the next <laughs> vo- volume to come out so it's the only reason we're keeping this podcast alive is yeah for those books. i know like our last book is probably the last book we ever review for this podcast will be like rusty brown 2 and that's going to come out when we're both <laughs> 80 I, I think even after we quit this podcast completely, I think we need to come back together and record like episodes every four years when like when we when we like kill this thing, we need to make a list of the books we're going to come back for. So it's all the ones in the beginning of the show that never were never <laughs> finished. Well, Ryan, what are we reading next week? So we live, as we've established, in confusing and often changing times. So I think it's appropriate that next week we're going to read Familiar Face by Michael DeForge. That is our F book. So Familiar Face is about a world where the infrastructure is always changing, the work route differs every day, people constantly awaken in strange apartments, and the protagonist works in a department where he basically just listens to people complain day in and day out. DeForge is a Canadian cartoonist who's done work and character designs in quirky, albeit mainstream cartoons like Adventure Time. But his comics are always one of a kind about people or Creatures, like ants, for instance, trapped in these absurd Kafkaesque systems and always trying to break free of them. So, the perfect read for our times, and I would say the perfect follow-up for Esther's Notebooks. Well, I hope we don't give it an F. I, God, I'll I'll be pissed if we do. (laughs) And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. qtdcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old, and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Joe. Pas du tout, pas du tout, pas du tout. Je l'aime à la folie.
Regarde maintenant ce que ça t'a coûté Il y a certaines choses qu'il faut pas goûter Arrête de dire qu'elle te dégoûte Ah mon gava, mon gava, tes frérots sont là, t'inquiète pas ça va Je l'aime à la folie, un peu beaucoup passionnément Pas du tout, pas du tout Je l'aime à la folie, un peu beaucoup passionnément Pas du tout, pas du tout French Kiss Tu sais pas ce que tu veux toi Tu le veux sous le même toit Tu la veux sous le même toit En amour suffit pas d'y croire Tu vis dans le doute et l'espoir Quand t'es seul face à ton miroir Tu te refais l'histoire Mais tu l'aimes Tu l'aimes Tu l'aimes Ah tu l'aimes Tu l'aimes Tu l'aimes Je l'aime à la folie Un peu beaucoup passionnément Un peu beaucoup passionnément Love.